transparency gives credibility to your message, your plan, and it kind of focuses in on those important investments that you're making to protect the business. And of course, you're going to get questions. You know, when you tell your board, here's a risk that I'm not doing anything about, you know, that's going to be a, a red flag for them and they're going to ask why. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. I'm Steve Moore, and on today's show, I sit down with Colin Anderson, Chief Information Security Officer at Levi Strauss, to talk about interacting with an organization's board. Much more than just preparing slides for a presentation, building an effective relationship with the board requires learning what makes people tick, understanding their backgrounds, managing expectations, and sharing narratives that resonate, all in service to the ultimate goal, which is to build and establish trust with this key audience. The CISO and the board generally share something in common. They both want to manage risk and make the business successful. But a CISO has to earn the board's trust, even when it's well established, that they are the security subject matter expert. Successful relationships must be nurtured, and this one is no different. Each board member comes to the table with a different point of view, background, expectations, and personality. Getting to know the board and learning how to best communicate with them is one of the CISO's top priorities. Colin, thank you for joining us today. Would you do us all a favor and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, Steve. So. Colin Anderson. I'm currently the CISO at uh, Levi Strauss. Previously, I've held similar roles at Safeway and other organizations. Been in the security industry now for you know 20 plus years. I know that's really dating myself, but I enjoy it. It's a, a wonderful job. I think it's uh, something that really has a societal impact, and uh, I'm really happy that I kind of fell into this career you know 20 some years ago. Colin, thank you for that intro. Uh, today, we're going to chat a little bit about the makeup of a board meeting and the personalities associated. But before we get into that, and I, I really love this question, if you had to do all of this all over again, what advice would you give yourself, your younger self? Yeah, that's a great question. Rule number one is get to know your board. Every board is different. I've had boards that were IT savvy and cyber aware. I've had boards with very little technology and security exposure. And I've had lame duck boards who are basically on their way out and phoning it in. You know, you need to do your homework to better understand your board members' areas of expertise and experience. You want to know if any of them have had a security incident. Have they, have they been through a breach? Do they have a deep understanding of security and in their role that they lead outside of the function that they perform on the board? Another important question to ask yourself is, you know, do you know any security leaders that were working with some of your board members? Um, that's you know, that network that you have as a CISO is really invaluable and it can really help you with your board. I had a, a business leader that I worked for many years ago and I was friends with a CISO for which the business leader was on his board. And so this CISO at another organization and I regularly kind of talked about what we're both talking about with this executive that we had in common. And it was really beneficial for both of us. So and if I had to say rule number one, it's get to know your board, do your homework. So really, I think the most interesting thing there you mentioned is sort of the networking or the maybe the Kevin Bacon effect of who do I know or does someone that I know know someone else that might have already interacted with these personalities on the board? 
One thing I often state is you never want to do an introduction in a crisis. And not that a board meeting is necessarily that, but it's certainly high stakes. The more familiar you are, the better. And it really helps with your, absolutely, it really helps with your narrative too. You know, with the, with the board, I mean, everybody talks about, you know, avoiding acronyms, you know, talking, you know, business language and all that kind of stuff. And I totally agree, you know, that's kind of table stakes these days. But if the other really important thing with your board is to know your narrative. You know, what is the plan for your security function? How you measure progress? How best to communicate and earn the trust and support you need from that board? I've seen a lot of capable leaders, you know, present different topics to board committees. And the most common mistake I see is the presenter and content was just not prepared for that board audience. The presenter knows their stuff, but they fail in communicating it in a way that earns that board's trust and confidence. You know, that storytelling skill. I can't impress upon it enough how important that storytelling skill is. Your board is going to remember that narrative you tell them. The statistics you throw in front of them, they may resonate with them for temporarily, but a few months down the road, they're not going to remember the numbers you put in front of them, but they're going to remember that narrative, that example that you kind of, you crafted a story to emphasize a certain point that you wanted to get across. That narrative, that storytelling skill is something that I'm continuing to work on because I see how valuable it is with the board. I couldn't agree more. I mean, storytelling throughout history, the foundations of life, I mean, the best storytellers ultimately ate the best, right? I think that we, especially from a technical perspective, need to get better. But on the flip side, I think you mentioned there's three different types of boards. And generally, either they don't care, have an IT background, or don't. I think their day is the day of reckoning is here for them, meaning they need to figure out no longer can they sort of be ignorant to these issues or dismissive of them. You wouldn't want to go to a board and expect them, or you'd be shocked rather if they didn't know what the CFO does or what the actuaries do or the marketing department. But it seems to be okay in many cases for them not to know what the security department does or what the CISO does in particular. Um, Why is that? Why do you think that is? You know, it's a good question. I think honestly, this security topic with boards is still relatively new. It's in its infancy. You know, I think many CISOs may be reporting to boards for, you know, well over 10 years now, but compared to other topics, the boards, you know, risks that the board is working to manage, security is still relatively in its infancy. They don't really know how to measure is the security program and is that security leader being effective. It's a lot easier to measure, you know, is that CFO being effective, but it's a little bit more nebulous to that board to measure that CISO or that security leader. I've actually had to help the board with that a little bit. NACD, you know, the National Association of Corporate Directors, has put out some pretty prescriptive guidance for boards and how to effectively manage security risks and the specific questions boards should be asking of their CISOs. And I've actually put that content in front of boards and saying, here's some relevant information, you know, about this cyber risk that you're helping manage for the organization. And here's some questions you should be asking me. Here's what you should be holding me accountable for. And I think that helps educate the board. It also helps the security leader know how the board will be measuring them. So I think it serves two different purposes there. So I think that's a good piece of advice. Do you have uh, a name or a link, or can we talk a little bit more about the NACD documentation? I can't remember the exact title, but it's from NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors, and it's like cyber risk management or cyber risk guidance for for boards, something along those lines. 
I've seen it. Yeah. I was just making sure there wasn't maybe an update or a longer form name, but I think for the listener, that's good enough for them to sort of grab onto. The key piece is that you're utilizing that. I think the message that you wisely adopted and the message you're giving out is that you're utilizing this as a third party influence to share with the board and say, Hey, here's how mature organizations evaluate themselves. And here's how boards sort of ask and answer these questions. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. You know, those boards that may, may not be as cyber aware, they, they need a little bit of help. They're looking to you as that leader, but they also kind of want that external voice to make sure that they're informed and asking the right questions. And I think NACD is a great, great resource for that. So you mentioned several different types of boards, different personalities related to that. What is the real goal of presenting to the board? And this is kind of a trick question, meaning there's different goals, but if they've never been a CISO or they've never been around one, is that the real goal in your definition and from your perspective? What are we trying to do? Yeah. For me, I think earning your board's trust is the most important thing you can do for your long-term success. I want to have, I want to educate my board. I want to build that partnership, both myself and the board. We're both working to manage risk to the business to support that and enable that business success. They bring skills and experience that I may not possess, and I have skills and information they likely do not possess. And so they're looking to me as that subject matter expert on security to help arm them with the information they need to make you know, more informed, better business decisions. And I need to build that trust. They need to be able to look at me and have trust in what I'm sharing with them. So I, I strongly believe in you know, not putting lipstick on the pig, so to speak. If the situation is bad and there are problems, don't be afraid to put that bad and concerning information in front of your board. Don't be afraid to say you don't have all the answers, you know? I also like telling the board what I'm not gonna do and why. I think it's really easy to say yes, you're doing all these things, but the reality is you have to make some hard choices and, and make some priorities. You know, I think all that transparency gives credibility to your message, your plan, you know, kind of focuses in on those important investments that you're making to protect the business. And of course, you're going to get questions. You know, when you tell your board, here's a risk that I'm not doing anything about, you know, that's going to be a, a red flag for them and they're going to ask why. But in my experience, if you have that solid plan and you have logic behind why you're focusing on some things more than others, that carries the day and the board will understand why certain things are more important. If you have that narrative and good storytelling skill, and I've usually, you know, with very few exceptions, you really gotten that support and that trust that I think is really important for those investments that you're making. Do you ever feel like it's easier to present and convey information to the board than it is to convey the same kind of idea to your peers? Is there a difference there or is it the same message that goes up to the board that you would share, for example, to the ELT? What is that difference if one exists? I'd say the ELT often may have more context. If I'm talking to my CIO or CFO or COO, they have a little bit more business context and they might have a little bit more of the history of the specific issue or the specific risk. With the board, they're getting little bite-sized chunks and they may not have the full transparency to you know, some of the background information. And so I, I find it, it's interesting. Sometimes the leadership team will be more concerned or less concerned about a specific thing based upon their additional information that they have on the issue. The board is really relying on you. Um, what are you thinking is critical or concerning or important? And so I think your assessment of the situation carries a lot more weight with the board, whereas with other senior executives, they're, 
they're forming their own opinions in some cases based upon other information that they have that the board may not have. In a general sense, and this doesn't necessarily have to apply to Levi's, but have you ever brought in a ringer to speak to a board? I've seen both happen. I've personally brought in third parties to emphasize a specific plan or concern that I have. You know, that external voice can carry a lot of weight with certain boards. And I've seen boards, you know, many times your your audit committee or even the full board that you're reporting to will have that audit partner that, you know, that that PwC, Accenture, Deloitte partner that has that security background, and they'll bring them into the meeting to pepper the presenter with questions to help maybe ensure that the board has somebody in the room that is very knowledgeable on the topic that's being presented. So I've seen that both from a security lens, and I've seen it actually for other topics as well. I don't think it's unique to security that the board may bring in other expertise as needed for specific topics. You hit on something very interesting. You talked about an audit partner on the audit committee uh, or something to that effect. How often do you hear other CISOs being invited? So someone who was or is a CISO and is now sort of a attache to the audit committee or the board. Uh, are you seeing that? And if not, why do you think we're not? Yeah, no, I haven't seen the situation where a CISO has been brought in as an advisor or an attache. Obviously, there are situations where CISOs are becoming board members today in organizations to bring that cybersecurity experience to the board. But I haven't yet seen a CISO being brought in as an advisor to assess the performance of another CISO or security leader. I can't say why or why not that's happening. I, I do you know, believe that if CISOs want to become you know, members of public boards, they need to bring in more than just that cybersecurity skill set. All of the board members that I've gotten to know over the years were asked to join a board because they brought multiple skill sets to the board. I mean, they check multiple boxes. They're not just a financial executive. They might have specific industry experience that that board is looking for. So I think in time, more CISOs are going to become or asked to join boards. But I think those CISOs that are going to be successful there need to bring more than just that security skill set to be an effective board member. Absolutely. I think that's a great point and one that I personally had not considered. You're pulled in. There's opportunities for CISOs and other security leaders to help on a board. Uh, what you're referencing, which is not only that you have to be a CISO, but you had better bring other skills, which is very well stated. Going back over your career, what's the toughest board member you've ever had to present to? And obviously, we don't need names, but maybe just <laughs> the archetype of the person. Uh, and why were they tough? Was there a strategy to maybe win them over or at least pacify them for the duration of the meeting? Yeah, no. <laughs> that brings back a period in time that was tough. I mean, so, wow. So, yeah, by far... The toughest board member I had to win over was a telecommunications executive who had previously experienced a major breach. This individual, I had to kind of overcome a twofold problem. First, the board member was new to the specific retail company in question, and so he did not have a really deep understanding of the business yet. And second, the board member did not fully understand that the business risks and often adversaries were quite different between retail and telecommunications companies. So this was a, a journey. I'd say it was not solved in one meeting. Let me interrupt you there. So one would think that somebody with or that has 
gone through a breach, that understands the pain and the cost and the negative outcomes would be a great ally there, especially in this discussion. You're saying that even though the security experience was there, that because they didn't understand the business, that it's actually worse than just being ignorant of the security problems. Is that accurate to say? Yes. They were incredibly concerned that something similar could happen at the new organization that they were just joining as a board member. So, I, you know, it was a good three to six month process of talking to this individual member in between board meetings and really helping both educate him a little bit more about our business, you know, what's different, what's, he, what's similar. And they eventually became actually a huge advocate for me, but I had to build that trust and confidence with them that we had a good plan and a program that the risks that he might have experienced were not similar or or the risks that were he experienced were managed in the our organization in common so he actually became a huge advocate and a, a great supporter on the board but that first 3 to 6 months was it was a journey he did he came in very concerned you know almost shell shocked from the event that he experienced and so he was, I would say, for lack of a better word, not very trusting. I'm not quite sure what he was told or wasn't told in his previous, in his role in, in the telecommunications company, but he came in very concerned about the cyber function, the readiness, the resiliency of the function. And it took, you know, a while to come, bring him around. But once I got him there, huge advocate, huge supporter, and it was great, but it was not a, a quick win. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dig into that. So there's probably many people out there that are listening to this that have somebody who's almost an adversary, so to speak. Uh, they're getting peppered by these questions. There's no trust. You mentioned three to six months, I believe. Uh, what did you do? I'm guessing a lot of work and effort outside of the board meeting. How did you do that? Uh, was it one meeting? Was it many? Uh, what was the additional dialogue? Was there a proxy? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, what did you specifically do to sort this out and to win them over? Yeah, so it was out. It was conversations outside the boardroom. Um, it was sometimes one-on-one. Sometimes my general counsel was part of that conversation as well, because in my experience, most many organizations, you'll have a, a general counsel or something that kind of facilitates the board and manages the board. And so sometimes those conversations went through the G- GC. Other times it was direct between myself and the, this specific board member. And it was talking about our business, talking about how I view risk, talking about the risks that I'm most concerned about and working to manage what we're doing to manage those risks. He brought up certain things that took place at the telecommunications company and would ask questions about that. I'm not, I was a little concerned at the time that I might be throwing his security leader under the bus in how I was answering some of these questions. And I was very careful to, preface my answers with, you know, you know, you can approach these problems differently. And there's usually more than one solution to some of these risks. But I would share my perspective and how I would approach it. And I think over time the trust was was built. He appreciated that I understood the specific retail business that we were both working on. And I think that understanding also helped him understand the business a little bit more and build that trust. But it really it comes back to that ability to connect and build that trust with your board members. Um, if, if you don't have those communication skills, you can't tell that narrative, you don't have good storytelling skills, it's going to be an uphill battle for any CISO or any executive reporting to that board because 
it's those skills that I think, in my experience, are the difference between success and failure. Uh, it's not your mastery of the, the subject. It's your mastery of how to communicate that subject to those executives and those board members. I think CISOs sometimes struggle with aligning their initiatives to business priorities. And you've spent a lot of time talking about winning over the board and understanding the business. We know that's part of the board level conversation. Can you give an example of that alignment? We've talked about trust. We've talked about making them comfortable. Uh, Now, how do you build that bridge specifically saying, I have a business relevant security program? Ah, great question. And those are some of the best conversations I've actually had with the board. So over the last 10 plus years that I've been actually reporting the board, there have been numerous business efforts that required additional tailored, focused security type control to minimize business risk. These, these really kind of business-oriented conversations where security is being woven into what the business is doing, you know, where they're making investments have been you know, some of my best interactions with the board. And so thinking back, Many years ago, you know, we were, I was working for an organization that was working to expand into a new industry. You know, they were looking to grow in healthcare and another time when they were looking to grow into a gift card business. And both of those topics were relatively new initiatives and, you know, industries for the company. And I had to come to the table with specific, almost point by point checklist bulleted plans about how we're addressing the compliance requirements? How are we, you know, addressing potential fraud? How are we addressing protecting, you know, confidential information and really show how security was going to be woven into the business initiative to manage that risk and enable the business to go into this line of business in a position where risk was being minimized on multiple fronts. And it was a, you know, it's not a one and done type conversation. This was a conversation that took place over multiple meetings, but it was, those are some of the best conversations where you really demonstrate how security can be an enabler, how it can help a business go into other lines of business, grow revenue, grow their footprint. And it does help demonstrate the need and the value of security when you're able to align it to a specific business opportunity and show how security is integral to that new business opportunity. Often new business opportunities align very closely with the needs of the sales team or sales department. Uh, What type of relationships have you had or do you have with the sales teams? Uh, If you do, maybe tell us a little bit about how you interact with them, because I think this is really important and often overlooked. Can you talk a bit about that? Honestly, I can't say that I, I have had much of an ex- experience or relationship with sales leaders. Um, maybe it's the nature of the organiz- organizations I've been in. It's usually with a P&L leader or P&L owner that I have that relationship. So, for example, there might be a pharmacy executive in my healthcare example I just gave, the pharmacy executive, you know, that was really responsible for that book of business, you know, to grow that revenue, who is really responsible for the P&L that is the investments that we're making, I had my relationship with was with that business leader. And most of the situations that kind of come to mind is I'm building that relationship with that business executive that at the end of the day has responsibility for the success of that new business opportunity. So they probably have leaders reporting to them that are responsible for, you know, the market demographic and sales and targeting and all that kind of stuff. But 
my relationships have been predominantly with that P&L owner. And that's where I've chosen to build my relationship and try to make sure that I have a seat at the table and have influence over some of those decisions. And at least, if not, certainly I rarely have decision rights, but I have an opportunity to inform and advise and help that business leader make sure that they have all the information to make the right business decisions. Can you give the aspiring CISO or maybe one who's looking to kind of become more business relevant, maybe one tip when reaching out to these profit and loss uh, centers, sales departments, you know, one piece of advice, you know, how do you make an introduction or how do you have maybe some a little more humility uh, when asking for an education on what they do, Uh, anything at all that you could provide that you've experienced or would be helpful to this new CISO? You just hit it on the head. Um, It's absolutely a conversation you want to approach in the form of, you know, you want to learn about their business. You want to learn about how you can help them. And I've almost always kind of prefaced these conversations by, you know, wanting to learn about what they're doing and how you can help. And it's usually multiple conversations along those lines before I would come back with saying, you know, here are some things that you know, I'd like to help you with, or here's some risks that I want to help manage with you. But I always kind of focus these conversations on how can I learn about their business so I can be more effective for them. At the end of the day, you know, security is often a support function. And at the end of the day, these business leaders are actually the ones that are generating the revenue for the organization. And I believe, you know, in, in many cases, I am there to help them succeed. And if I can build that relationships where they see our mutual success as beneficial, then that's a win-win. But I approach these conversations as how can I help you? That's a nice statement. I think that one that I've tried to live by or one concept is letting people know that you don't believe that you're valuable until you've helped someone else. I think it's a good way to live in general. And that's what you've exemplified in your description. Uh, so thank you. Are there any topics as you move forward in a board meeting that you should avoid? Uh, and as part of a two-part question, uh, are there any bad metrics that people overshare? Right. Okay. Let me tackle the first part of that question first. So um, in terms of topics to avoid, I can't say, can't say I don't like presenting topics for which I'm not the responsible leader or subject matter expert. You know, there's certain times you're in front of the board and they'll ask, specific questions that may not be in your area of expertise. In the past, you know, I've been kind of put on put on the spot, um, asked to talk to certain things that I was involved in, but may not necessarily be directly responsible for, you know, whether that be enterprise architecture, maybe disaster recovery or business continuity planning. Certainly more recently, you know, the topic of privacy, GDPR, CCPA is coming up a lot and I've gotten those questions and while I'm involved in those topics with, you know, other peers, I'm not directly the owner or responsible party. And so I'm, I'm always a little bit uncomfortable when I get put on the spot, potentially putting a peer or another leader in a bad position based upon how I choose to answer certain questions. So from a topics perspective, I'm not, I don't really can't think of anything that I wouldn't put in front of the board, but I can definitely say there's certain topics I try to avoid if I can. But in terms of the metrics, you know, you, you hit it on the head pretty well there. There are absolutely a ton of metrics I would avoid with a board. Most of the operational metrics that I like to track to measure execution and effectiveness of my controls 
Our metrics, I would not put in front of the board. I mean, my board members don't really care how many desktops have the latest antivirus definition file. The metrics I like to present to the board are those that tell a story, show a trend, metrics that you know I use to make important decisions. These are the ones that are more aligned to the business. And these, I think, are the metrics that are relevant, that the board would care about. I, I try to weave these metrics into different narratives or, or, or stories that I'm telling. But it's, they're really you know, metrics that are more showing a trend or something that I can use to tell a story, you know, whether that be something as simple as maybe bot attack trends against our web properties. What are we seeing? How are we seeing changes there? You know, how does that affect our, our e-com business? What actions are we taking based upon these metrics that we're seeing? That is a, a good way that we use metrics to affect or emphasize the specific decisions that you're taking. Honestly, actually, one of the metrics that may be more operational that I do share are some of the security awareness metrics. In every organization I've been in, you know, employees do tend to be a risk you know, and it's a risk that I frequently talk to about the board. And so I will show some metrics there. How are we doing from an awareness perspective? You know, what are the n- number of hours that people have attended, you know, educational training? You know, how are they doing on the fish test kind of things? And so that may be one operational metric I, I do share with them, but it's more definitely in support of a story that I'm telling around that employee security or employee awareness risk. I was in a meeting recently where the CEO asked, are we secure? (laughs) That's a loaded question. So let's say if a board member or the CEO asks that of you, what's your answer? I have actually gotten almost that exact question. And it was not an easy answer. What I had to actually do is I brought in a third party to help help me answer that question. And so the, the question I got is, are we secure? Are we managing our risks effectively? How do we know we're doing enough? And while I could show metrics, I could talk about my strategy, I could talk about the investments that we're making or how we're increasing our investment. All of that information, while relevant, was not going to carry as much weight as having an objective third party come in and say, hey, you know, here's how we view what you're doing against your primary risks. And here's you know, what's going well, here's what could be going better. And I basically brought in a third party to help me answer that question and give that confidence to the board that we were doing the right things. So third party influence, again, uh, kind of nice to have, probably helps a little with some trust and maybe a unique perspective as well. Uh, Hopefully something that aligns with yours. Correct. You know, that's always the risk. The third party definitely carries, that voice carries a lot of weight, usually, depending on the third party you bring in. And you absolutely hope to align with the final conclusion there. In many cases, your plan and your investments do align, but there always is that risk that that third party calls out something that you had not prioritized or put enough weight into, and then you're put into a position where you have to explain yourself or defend your decisions. That happens. You know, it's everybody's going to have their own own lens that they're using to look at business risk and cyber risk. But um, like I said earlier, you know, there's usually more than one way to solve a lot of these risks. So it just may be, you know, a different approach. So for every minute that you present in a board meeting, how much time is spent on socializing those ideas outside of the board meeting? <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that's a really insightful question. Wow. So obviously, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into those board presentations. I'd say about for every hour I spend with a board, I'm probably putting 10 hours in, in terms of pulling the content together, formatting it, crafting that, that story, how I want to relay the information, going through those multiple reviews with other executives, making sure that they are comfortable with the content. They want, if they want to put it, you know, tweak it here and there, you know, give them the time to make those tweaks. And the last thing you want is to have that information going to your board before certain C-level leaders understand it and have weighed in on it. So yeah, it's probably a close to a 10 to one ratio if I had to had to guess off the top of my head there. Oh, and one other thing I would encourage people to, you know, plan for at least is try to think through the questions you're going to get from the board based upon the content you're presenting. That's probably a really important step, which I did not do early in my career. And I think it has led to more success with my boards. You can probably, you know, once you get to know your board, you can probably guess what some of the questions you're going to get based upon the content you're presenting. And so go in with some of those answers thought out. And uh, you're not going to be able to predict every question you're going to get, but put some time into thinking about, you know, what questions you're going to get based upon what you're presenting. That's uh, a very good use of your time when you're preparing for that board. I think that's a must. And thank you for sharing that. I think the other one might be, let's say we have 30 minutes to present to the board. Let's say then you only get maybe five or six of those minutes. How do you on the fly cut back on your message and fill that time slot? Have you encountered that? <laughs> Absolutely. I'll go in with a certain, let's say I've got 30 minutes on the agenda and the board's running behind and I'll, I'll see, you know, my CEO or CFO sitting right there up front and I'll get the, you know, speed it up kind of, you know, finger movement, like speed it along. And I'll, knowing that the board's receives this content in advance. And so everything I'm presenting is kind of sent out a week in advance as a pre-read. I go in with the expectation that they've read it. And so I'll, I'll hop around a little bit and I'll focus in on, you know, one or two points on a couple of slides and realizing that I might go in present, you know, with 30 minutes in mind where I'm trying to get it done in 20 minutes to allow 10 minutes for, for questions. But sometimes I've been, you know, cut to 10 minutes and I knowing your content allows you to kind of hop around it a little bit and hit the important points. But that happens relatively frequently. You know, you have to adjust on the fly and. After you get comfortable with your content, it's usually not that difficult to do. You work for an iconic company, one that's incredibly cool. What's something you can share about working for Levi's that might bring a, a younger person in uh, to want to apply or be a part of uh, what you do? Yeah. Um, so the one thing that surprised me most, and I, I didn't fully appreciate it when I joined Levi's, is their profits through principles belief. It is an amazing company that attracts people that believe in a mission. Levi's believes in doing right, whether that be, you know, one of the first companies out there to support partner benefits. Right now, our, our CEO is, you know, leading the charge on responsible gun control. I mean, this, this is a company that supports our, our employees, supports the communities, embraces diversity and inclusion, and really honestly lives by that belief and profits through principles. And Everything, I mean, it has really impressed me personally about how, how true our leaders and our executives believe in that and the effect that we have on our communities and our employees and how we support one another. It's been honestly one of the biggest and best surprises about working for Levi's is, you know, just the, the real heart that it has. I think it starts with a family. Family really has led 
Levi Strauss for decades. You know, they themselves believe in giving back and philanthropy and the Haas name is widely known in the Bay Area. And I think that permeates the entire Levi's organization. It's really a very giving and wonderful place to work. That's fantastic to hear. And it's so fun to hear your enthusiasm about your employer on being part of that culture, something that's extremely important from my perspective. I really, really do love everything the company stands for. It's really impressive company and I love being a part of it. Colin, anyone that's heard you speak leaves that conversation or that presentation impressed and you haven't let us down today. I want to thank you very much for your time today, your candor, and your willingness to share with the new CISO. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it. Happy to help. That concludes this episode of the new CISO. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more episodes, suggest a topic, or nominate a guest, please visit exabeam.com forward slash podcast. 